Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, founder of The Silver Edge. Our mission at The Silver Edge is to inspire men and women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond to live their strongest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. In this podcast, we share stories of amazing individuals who are doing just that, to help motivate you to become the healthiest version of yourself, regardless of your age. And now, on to today's podcast. Hello, my guest today is Tom McCormick. Tom's mission is to educate, inspire, and motivate skinny guys through the process of building a stronger, bigger, and healthier body. And he would know, as a former skinny kid himself, he added over 50 pounds to his frame. Not only did he experience a physical transformation, but in the process of getting bigger, he became a happier, stronger, and more competent person. Tom has a master's degree in strength and conditioning, and today helps clients from all over the world gain muscle and self-confidence. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Great to be on. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad to have you here. I'm excited to, to dig into today's topic. And I certainly want to talk about what you're doing today to help skinny guys uh, build some muscle. But let's back up a little bit and talk about, uh, let's get some background on you. What were you like as a kid? Were you an active boy? Uh, yes, I, I was. I played you know, pretty much every sport that was going as a kid. But I, I would say I was very sporty, but I wasn't athletic, if that makes sense. Sure. So I was a pretty decent sportsman, uh, you know, good hand-eye coordination, whatever, you know, quite skillful in the sports I played, but I wasn't the quickest. I certainly wasn't the biggest or the strongest. Yeah, right. So uh, what were some of the sports that you played as a as a young man? Um, well, growing up, so I played football, but over here in the UK, so soccer. Um mm-hmm. Football, uh, yeah, so soccer uh, in the winter, along with rugby, rugby union, um, which which became my main sport. I played those from a young age. In the summer months, I'd play tennis, cricket, and then in between times, it was hockey and basketball at school. And that's kind of how the the different sports flowed through. And you know, I'd I'd play any kind of sport I could when I was uh, when I was a kid. I you know, absolutely loved it. Um, and and that was what you know what I spent most of my time doing: kicking a ball or throwing a ball around in the back garden. And is it fair to say that you were a skinny kid during this time? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I was the the sort of archetypal um, ectomorph, if you want. I was, um, you know, pretty tall, uh, long limbs, quite a short torso. Actually, my my wife thinks it's hilarious that basically I'm like six foot three. But if you if I sit down next to someone, most people tower over me sitting down. But when I stand up, that's when the difference comes in. So my height's all my in my in my legs, but yeah, my long. Yeah, my as my dad would call me lanky, kind of skinny arms and legs, uh, you know, all, all over the place. And you know, as a few coaches told me when I was playing rugby, I looked like I'd blow away in the wind if there was a if there, you know a strong gust of wind came through. <laughs> no, I, I think I can relate as well. We were talking before the show that I, I also, um, you know, I certainly can relate as a as a skinny guy myself and have struggled to to gain weight and put on muscle. So you said that your main sport was going to be end up being rugby. Now you, mm-hmm. you got pretty serious about your rugby. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember from, I started when I was, um, I was seven. So playing under eights, uh, it's called mini rugby over here. Um, and turning up 
and just absolutely loving it. Uh, had no real indication that I was going to enjoy it before. I was My parents only um, sent me there because the school that I ended up getting into, you could get a place if you were a good sportsman, and they were a rugby school. So my parents realised, look, we didn't live in the area, but it's the school they want me to go to. You need to be good at rugby. So I started early. And, and I, I you know, played it all the way through school. Um, I ended up playing uh, international uh, age group level, uh, um, under 19, under 21. Um, played in the, They have age group World Cups back then. I played in a couple of World Cups. Um, and I was signed professionally when I left school. Um, all I ever heard was, you're good, you're just too small, which uh, was okay when, you know, in the lower levels, you can get by just being good. But as you reach higher levels, you know, frankly, everyone's good, but you know, then everyone's good and a physical specimen. And that's when I really uh, came up against a, a bit of a plateau. I could, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just, uh, you know, outskill them um, and, and outperform on the pitch through uh, game knowledge and and, and skill. Um, you know, physical capacities let me down at that point. Gotcha. So I, I don't know a whole lot about rugby, but um, it does seem to be little I know. It's a, it's a pretty physical sport, right? Yes. So there's not really a, a position or a place for smaller skilled player the way there would be in some other sports, right? Where you might be able to get away without that big physical presence on the field. It sounds like to me, when you get into that kind of elite levels, those guys are all skilled, obviously, mm-hmm. but they're also all big, right? Yeah, by and large. I mean, you, obviously, I suppose there's exceptions to, that, that prove the rule. But if you think uh, a little bit maybe about the NFL, uh, again, I, I'm not an expert on that, but I, I enjoy watching it. But to some extent, you can be different shape and sizes based on your role. So there's guys that are maybe not that quick, but they're, they're huge. And so in, in rugby, you have guys that, you know, you know they're, 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 they're you know, sort of little dump trucks, but they don't get around that quickly. But uh, more and more as professionalism, professionalism has kicked in, um, bear in mind, this is a sport that only went professional in sort of like 1996, I believe. The athleticism and uh, strength and conditioning has gone through the roof. So whereas back when I was growing up, you could be uh, maybe a little bit fat, but a good player or, or very, very quick, but not that big. You know, that's kind of getting um, drummed out of the game now. And, you know, if you look at them, they're all they're all huge guys pretty much now. Um, and sadly in a position that I played, I needed to be, you know, I needed to be really big, uh, to succeed in that position. And now I would probably build, be undersized for a position that was not necessarily considered size was the key uh, element in that. So that's kind of, that's kind of how far out of my depth I was physically. So you mentioned that you played all the way to, to pretty much a, a professional level. Did you, were you in college when you were playing or? No. So, well, so, so yes and no, I suppose when okay. it's a little, it's a little different here. Um, and in, in terms of us sports, um, the, the, the college or university system is a decent standard, but not, you know, not kind of the semi pro type status it is out there. Um, so I left school and went straight to, um, a, a premiership club professional, um, but like in the academy. So up until the age of 21, you're in the, the academy set up. And then after that, you kind of, if you make it, you, you transition up into the full squad. And my first year, I just did that. The second year, I went back to university and kind of did a degree part-time. And then my second year went really well, to be fair. It was the, the best year I had. And then things were looking quite promising. I, you know, at that point, I thought I genuinely might make this. Um, so I stopped university and focused full-time for that third year of my of my three-year contract. Uh, sadly, the contract didn't get renewed. Um, it wasn't really a shock to me because I'd, I'd been told, you know, you just, you're just not big enough the whole time. And, I could, you know, I left it too late to try and do anything about that. And I wasn't able to, to do enough about it. Um, so, so yes. And then after, well, what, what basically happened was, uh, just a year later after that, I, I had a, a new contract with another, another club at a slightly lower level. And then I got a career ending knee injury. Um, 
I ruptured all four ligaments in my left knee in one go. Uh, it was a complete dislocation below the leg, so uh, the knee. Sorry, so my my foot was pointing at a forty five degree angle to my knee. I tore the cartilage, all all this sort of stuff. Anyway, it was really fun, uh, but it was a career ender. Um, and so, age twenty two, um, r- rugby was done for me. And that's after that is when I went back to university. Gotcha. So at, at 22, you had this career ending injury, obviously pretty serious, and you went back to university. So you you had this love for sport and we know that you ended up getting a, a master's degree, right? In strength mm-hmm. and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Yes, and correct. so is that kind of went back into school for the strength and conditioning? Piece? So, so yes, I'd, well, what, what happened is that in that final year at the, the, the first club, um, Harlequins, the, the professional club, one of the other guys who was like what we used to call them mutants. That was the, the, the name for rugby, but like a real physical specimen, really nice guy. And he like took me one side as you're just not big enough, but like you're good. So you need to get bigger. He told me you just need to train every day for two weeks. Um, it's not sensible. It won't be the best training, but you'll be addicted. And after that, it'll take off. And he was right. Um, I did that. And then I was suddenly bitten by the bug. I mean, before I'd hated lifting weights in the gym. I'd always be injured or have a physio appointment or an excuse why I, I didn't have to be in the gym lifting weights, which looking back is ridiculous because that was that's exactly where I needed to be. And that was, you know, sabotaging myself. Anyway, long story short, he, he told me that. And I'd been then bitten by the bug. Then I had a year playing semi-professionally. And I was getting my personal training qualification because by then I was like, oh, I really enjoy this. I want something to support my income uh, and give me a potential career after rugby. Then obviously the injury happened and that sort of focused my mind on, right, this is what I want to pursue. So yes, then then I went and I did a sports science and coaching degree first and then followed that up with the master's in strength and conditioning. Now, you said something interesting in that story. You said you hated going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that. What 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 about the gym did you not like? Well, I was—I mean, I wasn't good at it, right? And I, not only wasn't I good, I wasn't even average. I was—I was significantly below average. And then I suppose you put me in an environment where everyone is in the top few percent because they've made it to this level um, and and they have the physical attributes to be professional and international rugby players. Um, so you know, I was immature, I suppose. I mean, I was certainly not mature enough at that age to deal with the fact that this is a weakness uh, and it's an opportunity to improve. Uh, instead, it was just. I uh, felt very insecure. The fact that you'd go in and genuinely you hear the stories of like people walking in and picking up your working weight for a warm up set. Well, you know, that was very true. I, you know, I'd be in there. Um, I remember doing a session bench pressing and, you know, whatever the top weight I could manage. And we actually signed at the time he was the South African captain, South Africa. They're good. They're a really good rugby team. And the guys that play for them, I mean, they're huge. Uh, he genuinely strolled in, walked over to the bench because, like, he, yeah, that was the first exercise in his weight session. Lay down my work set, and I mean, he could have probably done like fifty reps, but he sort of did a quick ten, like threw it around, was like slap that, I mean, you know, slap some weight on, and then um, that experience, I, you know, that that really hit me quite hard. I, I didn't take that well, if I'm honest. Yeah, that that can be intimidating, and I can certainly personally relate. I know, um, in my my personal background. Um, I ended up in the endurance events, right? I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm 6'2", and I did a lot of marathons, a lot of triathlons, and I kind of burned out on that, and I I wanted to transition. I I knew I was skinny, and I I wanted to do something about it, and after taking a little bit of time off, I said, well, I'm going to go to a gym, and I, I got a membership at a Globo gym, but to your point, walking in there, I was a, I didn't know what I was doing, right? And and B, I was very intimidated. There were mm-hmm. big, burly guys in there throwing around a lot of weight, and I was embarrassed. I didn't want to. I didn't want to lift a weight next to somebody who's doing quintuple what what I could even possibly dream of doing. So it was really difficult to get started. What 
tips do you have for people that that are maybe listening to this and can can relate? They're you know maybe they're thinking about going to the gym or maybe they've tried going to the gym and just you know said, well, it's not for me, mm-hmm. but it's because it's because of this because of that kind of intimidation factor, especially somebody who's maybe over fifty, right? And this is their first time going in. It can be even more intimidating, right? There's a lot of younger people, maybe loud music. There's guys with their shirt off and they're pretty buff and they're throwing around some pretty big weights. What tips do you have to kind of help people overcome that insecurity? Mm-hmm. Great question. Great question. Uh, and it's a really important uh, topic. So, um, so the first one I'll say is understand that frankly, no one else cares what you're doing. I mean, this is, this is a hard one. Um, you th- you're the center of your universe. You think you're the center of everyone's universe, but you are not, no one cares. Uh, I've realized this now a bit too late, but you know, everyone else is worried about what they're doing and worrying. They're probably thinking you're judging them. Um, rather than worrying about what you're doing and, 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 and judging you. So first thing is realize that, frankly, you're not on anyone else's radar, um, you know, to, to be honest. Um, get in, do your own thing, do it for you. Um, and then, you know, hardly anyone is actually fussed about what you're, you're doing. Uh, the second thing, and I did this by accident, that time when I said I got addicted to the gym, I went every day. I went with one of my best friends, and sometimes there was a, a few of us, a gang of us, safety in numbers. But, um, you know, I'd by that stage done a bit of lifting and uh, f- for rugby. I was probably a bit ahead of him. Um, and when we went in, because there was two of us, I felt more comfortable. Um, you know, we could we could chat to each other and almost distract myself from worrying about what other people were thinking. Uh, so yeah, getting a gym buddy. Uh, you know, if you can get a friend uh, who's you know got similar goals, arrange to go in at the same time. That would be another one. A, r- a really simple one. Um, if you can't do that, is get in the gym. Um, and then maybe just do some cardio, right? Like you, it's like graded exposure. You you get used to it. You start to see the same faces. You realize they're not all uh, nasty people. In fact, they're mostly there to help you if you if you want it. If you go in and like sit on a treadmill, thirty minutes, just get used to the place, get a sense of the place, get comfortable with how things go. Observe, okay, that guy is doing that exercise. You know, like you know, this the the weights are over here. Like all the girls are over doing this, whatever, blah blah blah. Just suss the place out, like you know, case case it out a little bit, and then you'll start to feel more comfortable. Getting, get, you know, getting a coach or someone if they offer a you know an induction or a free session, take advantage of that. I mean, most people go through the motions. They can't. Oh, I've got, I've got to go through an induction. Well, actually, you know that person's being paid to take you through and they're probably bored because they've got nothing else to do that. Right. Right. Ask them questions, get them to help you. Um, and then it's a friendly face. You get to know them. Then every time you come back to the gym, there's at least one person, you know, um, and, and you just build up from there. I think those three things would be three things that immediately spring to mind for me. Yeah. And that sounds like some great advice and certainly getting in there, getting comfortable. I love the idea of, of taking a, a buddy. Certainly that's, I ended up in that, you know, my brother ended up going with me and that helps a huge amount, right? Cause then you've got somebody there to, to share that experience with getting a coach or even just that, like you said, that most gyms have an introductory session, taking advantage of that and at least get a, acquainted with some, some of the machines and mm-hmm. weights and whatnot. Let's, Talk a little bit about, uh, let's go back to talking about skinny guys. So we hear the term hard gainer thrown mm-hmm. around a lot. And a hard gainer is somebody who's obviously has a hard time gaining weight. What What is a hard gainer and why is it hard for a lot of skinny guys to gain weight? And specifically when we say gain weight, what we mean is build muscle, right? We're, yes. we're not talking about adding fat, yeah, clearly. Yeah. But what's a hard gainer and why? Why are there hard gainers? Okay, so uh, first of all, I'll say there's... There are hard gainers, so there is, there's, there's no doubt there's some people that respond better to training than others, but then I'd also classify this as true hard gainers, and then there's behavioral hard gainers, okay? And 
I was a, I'd say I'm a true hard gainer, but I was also a behavioral hard gainer. So I wasn't, I wasn't giving myself a chance. So, you know, building muscle, there's, there's a few prerequisites. Uh, you're going to need a calorie surplus. Uh, you're going to need to place tension through muscle by, you know, resistance training. So lifting weights, and then you're going to need to progressively overload yourself through that training. Uh, so essentially your training needs to be hard to stimulate muscle growth and it needs to get harder over time. Um, we'll maybe get into that a little bit later. That isn't just adding weight to the bar, but there's those few, um, concepts and then consistency. So there's plenty of people, they don't eat a surplus or they don't do it consistently. They maybe loads one meal or even one day. And then the next day they're back in a deficit. Now, um, building muscles, an expensive process for your body. Uh, it, it doesn't really make sense from a survival standpoint for you to carry around, you know, extra, extra muscle mass over and above, or, or, you know, a, a standard point. So you need to give a reason for that to, to be built and then to be retained. So you need to eat enough, you need to train hard enough, and you need to need, get enough rest and recovery. Because another concept uh, that, you know, I, I was a bit slow to, to pick up was you don't get big lifting weights, you get big recovering from lifting weights. And in the early days, I would train and train and train because I thought more training equaled more gains, but then I wasn't ever recovering. Um, and then allowing that, you know, the training is the stimulus, then you have recovery, then you have adaptation. Uh, and the adaptation is the biggest, stronger muscles, but you need to go through that whole cycle, stimulus, recovery, adaptation. And I was just stimulus, stimulus, stimulus. And I think a lot of guys uh, fall into that trap. Um, now, that's the behavioral side of things I think that people can accept. And then Despite that, even if you do everything right, there are, you know, there's some people can run the 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. In fact, one person can, but not everyone can, even if they train just like Usain Bolt. Now, you could do everything right in the gym, nutrition, recovery. You're not going to look like Ronnie Coleman, even before he took loads of steroids. I mean, you know, but what you certainly can do is transform your physique dramatically. What I've, even when you get people who are hard gainers and their rate of gain is slower, I've never met someone who can't build muscle and strength. They just don't maybe do it quite as quickly as some other people. Uh, and genetics are going to be a factor for that, uh, 100%. Um, yeah, so I, you know, does that answer your question? Is there anything in particular there you want to get more detail on? Yeah, that definitely answers my question. I And I haven't, I, I kind of suspected you were going to go into the, I haven't heard it called behavioral hard gainer, but I, I suspected that's where you were going to take us. Cause I think a lot of people, myself included have said, well, I've just, it's just the way I am. And it's my genetics. I'm, I'm skinny. I'll never be able to, to add muscle. But when you look at my behaviors there, I wasn't giving myself a chance really to, you know, I didn't understand what my calorie maintenance was, let alone what a, a sur, you know, a, a reasonable surplus would be. So yeah, I, I would like to dig into a lot of that. You know, you talked about, we got to be in the calorie surplus. We got to have some um, resistance training in there. We need some progressive overload. We need that consistency Four keys that for adding muscle for anybody, but especially so for, for hard gainers before we go there, sticking kind of on the skinny guy theme here for a minute, Let's talk about another term that we hear, and that's skinny fat. And I think that's getting more attention these days. I think I told you earlier, I, I had done a lot of triathlons, marathons, et cetera. I was skinny. I was very, very skinny. Um, at 6'2", I think in what, during one of my events, um, which was in August in brutal, brutal heat, and I've been training a lot. I was all the way down to, I think, 176 pounds, something like that. So super skinny. Not a, not a real good look. Um, <laughs> and 
what had happened is I had stopped training, just stopped. Now you can imagine I, I didn't really think anything about nutrition back then other than I could eat whatever I wanted. And I just, my diet was mostly carbs and I didn't distinguish between whole food carbs and trashy processed food carbs, but I got away with it. Right. So I stopped training. Um, I pretty much kept eating the way I was eating. And I found myself in what I now looking back realize is very much of a not a very unhealthy state of being skinny fat. My legs and arms were pretty skinny, but I had a pretty, pretty decent round middle there. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about skinny fat. What, what is that? What causes it? And how do, how do we overcome that? Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so skinny fat, it's, it's a problem. Lot, you know, lots of people that I end up working with uh, online, that's kind of where they feel they are and they're stuck. One of the ways that skinny fat quite often comes around is, as you say, is you, you're in a surplus. Uh, so you're gaining weight, gaining fat, but you're not doing the training to stimulate uh, growth. So as a result, the body will store fat and then guys tend to store fat around their gut and, and you know, well, most of it there, but around their, their midsection, that kind of, you know, there and there on, the, on their backside. So uh, you get that kind of fat belts, but skinny arms, arms and legs. Predominantly that occurs simply because people are in a calorie surplus and they don't train or they don't train properly. That's the most common way I, I see it. They think they're active um, or they're trying to bulk up, but they have no clue what is required training wise. So They've, na- they've nailed the calorie surplus, but they haven't got the, you know, pl- uh, placing tension and a stimulus through the muscles and they haven't got progressive overload or, or they're just quite sedentary, right? I mean, if you sit at the desk all day and you have a sedentary job and you eat a surplus, uh, given just a male uh, body fat storage pattern, it's likely to end up there. Um, partly, you know, for survival mechanism, you know, protects organs, you know, we, we're going to have fat around that area rather than our limbs. Uh, so that's, that's one of the main reasons why, why it happens. Then the the way that uh, you got to think about this is also if if you uh, give yourself the nutrients to gain weight, as in you're looking for muscle, you need to also uh, give the body that reason to grow it. So you need to do proper training, and that's resistance training. If we talk about hypertrophy, essentially you can build muscle going pretty close to failure, lifting five to thirty reps. Okay. But you have to work hard. You have to get quite close to failure within that rep range. Now, there's some parameters within that that you want to zoom in on and spend most of your time. But, you know, it doesn't have to be too complicated uh, to begin with. People don't do that. I, I would say, uh, you know, it's a long way to, to say that people don't train properly, but they eat too much. And the, the, the way that will end up looking for most guys is skinny fat, especially if you're, sorry, a naturally skinny guy because you you have those long arms and legs so even if you put like a few pounds of fat on your arms that like if your arms are like got a seven foot wingspan you're not going to notice that on a, on yeah, a shorty a chunk, ch- chunkier guy then their arms might fit, fill out and then that's what they, they can get away with that in a t-shirt maybe they look quite jacked right quite buff but for you that's just not gonna you know if you're if you're someone who's really tall so unfortunately it's not gonna work that way because your arms are never gonna fill out and that gut's just gonna keep expanding yeah, that's a shame. I, I I didn't think about that, but I I suppose from an evolutionary standpoint, there'd be a reason why the fat would store in the midsection. Um, I would really like it to come, you know, into my pecs and my arms, but yeah. that's not where fat really sits on me. Yeah, yeah, calves. If it could go on my calves, I'd be pretty happy. That, that's right. I'm sure a lot of guys would like for for that to fat to to store there in their in their calves. So yeah, I. It reminds me of a um, a quote. Dr. Gabriel Lyon said something along the lines of most of the health issues that adults confront is not so much a result of being overfat, but of being under muscled. 
and I think that we see we see that very very mm-hmm, classically mm-hmm. in the in the skinny fat guy, and that's an archetype now. There's a lot of you know we have a lot of obesity obviously in the Western world, and that's you know a lot of people listening to this are probably rolling their eyes. They're like, what, what do you mean skinny guys having a hard time gaining weight? I I have no sympathy whatsoever for you, but it is a thing. And especially for, I think maybe in the aging population, we have people that are frail and and that do have a hard time gaining weight. Let's talk a little bit about, you had mentioned that um, there's calorie surplus, there's the the training and the progressive overload and the consistency. Let's talk a little bit about that nutrition piece. Mm -hmm. What does nutrition look like for somebody who's trying to, and we had mentioned already, we're not really, when we say gain weight, what we really mean is gain lean muscle mass. Yes. What's the secret in eating to put on muscle but not fat? Okay. So there's uh, there's a hierarchy of needs. Um, and the first thing is your adherence. You need to pick a diet plan that you can stick to uh, consistently. Now, why I say that, uh, I mean consistently as in it can be similar each day, which is a, a contrast to fat, uh, fat loss if you're a goal. So with fat loss, as long as you are on average in a deficit over a period of time, you will lose weight and fat. So just to illustrate what that means is like, say, Monday to uh, Friday, you're in a deficit, you have a bit of a blowout on a Saturday, and then Sunday, you're back on plan. And across the course of the week, you're in a, in a deficit overall, but you had that that high day where you're over, but you, you know, so eight into your overall weekly deficit a little bit, but you're still in a deficit, you'll lose weight. And with muscle, there's only so much muscle you can build on a given day. So if you fluctuate and say, Five days a week, you're in that surplus, but two days, you're in a deficit. Those are two days of missed opportunity. You can't overeat on the other days and make up for that. Whereas you can overeat on a, on a fat loss plan and then undereat on other days and, and you kind of kind of end up in the same place. It doesn't work the same way with muscle gain. Like every day where you, you don't eat enough is a missed opportunity. So I think understanding that, I mean, it's one of the reasons it's hard. Because it's it's not something you can just you know do eighty percent you know or you can but you'll only get you know, you know some of the results. If you want to get really good results, you need to be on it day in day out, and that's that's a challenge that cons- level of consistency. So first of all is to understand that. Then the next most important thing is uh, energy balance, which is a surplus. So you need to con- and just just for anyone who's not sure, because this is the thing I get sometimes is people like, oh Tom, I've been in a surplus for the last six weeks, but I haven't gained any weight. Well, that's not a surplus. A surplus, a definition of a surplus is that you are gaining weight. You are consuming more calories than you burn on a daily basis. So the second rung of the ladder, the second most important piece, once you've got something you can adhere to consistently, is that you are in a um, calorie surplus. After that, it's macronutrients. So proteins, carbs, fats. Uh, The most important of those is protein in as much as If you don't consume enough protein, you will be struggling to gain weight. And especially for your audience, as you get older, you have a thing called anabolic resistance, um, which is that you cause less muscle protein synthesis for a given amount of protein. So some, you know, a 20 year old maybe has 30 grams of protein and it spikes muscle protein synthesis, which is the growth of new tissue up really high. 70 year old does that. They don't get that same response for on a gram by gram basis. Anyway, so you need enough protein. And now as a rule of thumb, a gram per pound of body weight, it's a really nice, easy way, way to go. Like there's a research saying a little bit more, a bit less. If you go there, you're not far wrong. I think you can be confident you've got enough. And after that, uh, it's getting enough fat to support home, optimal hormonal function. Okay. Now that doesn't mean more fat is better. So you can't supercharge your hormones by eating tons of fat. 
So guys that do keto and, and bulk on the basis that they think like, oh, this fat's going to make my, you know, put my testosterone through the roof. Sadly, past a certain threshold, it doesn't do more. And uh, if we said about um, half, half, um, hang on a minute, let me do the math. I'm doing a conversion for you here. But it's like a, about a, a, a gram per kilo of body weight. So about half uh, a gram per pound that would come out. It's like 0.45 that would actually be thinking it through. But anyway, uh, that would be about right for fats. And then fill in the rest through carbs. Uh, so just the important thing for people to know there is that fats are nine calories per gram, proteins and carbs are four calories per gram. So if people are trying to map this out, how that would be, um, from a practical standpoint, people then are always like, well, how many calories do I need? Honestly, I don't know. I can give you a good ballpark. A really simple way to establish your maintenance calories or guesstimate your maintenance calories is times your body weight in pounds by 15. That's probably about, uh, maintenance. But then if you want to actually get results, you've got to put some effort in. Uh, so then eat that amount of food, track your body weight, do that for two weeks. See what happens to your weight. If your weight stays the same, you're at maintenance. If it drops, you're in a deficit. And if it goes up, you're oh, you're in a surplus. Maybe you don't need quite as much as you want. And then you titrate the calories up or down to be uh, gaining an appropriate rate. An appropriate rate is between uh, a quarter and a half a percent of your body weight per week. Okay. That's a good rate of gain. Now, that won't be all lean muscle mass, but you can be confident you are gaining muscle mass and keeping fat gain under control at that rate, okay? Uh, if you're a complete beginner, you can be at the higher end of that. So a half percent of a body weight uh, per week gain for someone who's a beginner is a really, really great place to be because um, at that point, there's the newbie gains. You know, they, they, they can be in a surplus and actually lose fat and they get the recomposition effect. Now, if you're a more experienced lifter, someone who's a, uh, been training a long time, honestly, your scope for gaining loads of lean mass is, is, is lower. You're closer to your, your genetic ceiling. So then maybe it uh, serves you better to go slightly slower, uh, avoid the uh, fat gain, not completely, but minimize it by being at that 0.25% of your body weight each week. Um, after that, we can then move into fine-tuning things like nutrient timing, mi uh, micronutrients, but and supplements. But 80% of your results, assuming you can adhere to the plan, are taken care of by energy balance and macros. Do those two things relentlessly, then you will be a long way to nailing your nutrition. That's great advice. And I didn't realize that, it, you know, at the end, you, you had emphasized the consistency. And it didn't occur to me that when you're trying to gain weight, that you're, you're missing an opportunity those days you don't hit your calorie goals, right? Unlike yeah. when you're when you're dieting or trying to lose weight, cut weight, not so much, right? If you go over a little bit, no, you can you can just take it out of another day that week and you're, you'll be fine. So that that's interesting. So folks out there that are actually serious about trying to gain some weight, we've got to really pay attention to the consistency there. Yes. So let's say somebody's Gets, they dial in their maintenance calories and and maybe it's let's just say it's three thousand three thousand calories a day they're 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 burning pretty active folks. What would be a reasonable start increase for a weight gain? Mm -hmm. I know we okay. want to we want to get that point two five to point five percent of the the body weight gain per week, but is you know do we add a hundred calories and mm -hmm. try it out? Do we add five hundred? Okay. What's a good what's a good starting place? Okay, that's a good, really good question, uh, Kevin. And I'll uh, just before I get to that, there's something you said about the consistency, and I think it's important to say this because I've said it, and how important consistency is. And I'm worried that some people listen to this and be like, if they miss one day, they'll be like, oh, I've ruined it. I my, this, <laughs> there goes this, my gains. Exactly, there goes my gains. Like this, yeah. this isn't worth it. I should just give up. All right, look, no one's perfect. 
Um, don't strive for perfection, strive for progress. So whilst consistency is important, uh, I think it's aware, a key, key that you're aware of that and you you don't sort of blow things off thinking, oh, I'll make it up another day. Also, don't beat yourself up like, the, you know, I don't nail it day in, day out. Some days I don't even, you know, I don't feel like training. Like we're all human. The stuff, life gets in the way. Just know that you need to be on it more often than not to, to make progress. Uh, so getting to your question about establishing a surplus, I suppose we can well, reverse engineer this, okay, mathematically to some extent. If I tell you that uh, to gain a pound a week is basically a 500 calorie surplus per day, okay? Now, that's not 100% correct for everyone. It's a very rough estimate, but it's it, it holds pretty Where's true. It's the start, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you know, you then calculate, calculate that. If you're 200 pounds and you want to gain a pound a week, a 500 calorie surplus is about right. So if you establish your maintenance, and then put yourself 500 calories above that, you can find that you're probably gaining around about a pound a week. If you only wanted to gain at the lower end of that, say you're a 200 pound guy, someone like yourself who's around 200 pounds, but been training, has a good training age, maybe I can't gain at the, the faster end. I want to be at the lower end. Uh, I want to do a quarter of a percent of my body weight a week, so half a pound. Okay, a 250 calorie surplus is going to get me about there. So that, that would be the way I think about it. You can, you can map that out. And if you know that, so like a, a week, a 500 calorie uh, surplus per day or 3,500 calories across the week um, is going to net you about a pound on, on average, you just know, okay, plug in your numbers and then you can divide that to map out, okay, for me, that means 300 calories, whatever, to be at an appropriate rate of gain. And I think it's important to chase that appropriate rate of gain because some people try and get on the the, the dreamer bulk and they're like, I want to get massive overnight. And I made this mistake myself when I was younger. I'll, I want to be 10 kilos heavier. I'm going to be there in 10 weeks, which is like what, 22 pounds. Uh, you can't gain 2.2 2 pounds a week of purely lean muscle. Like there's going to be quite a lot of fat with that. So I think it's, it's sensible to have that rate of gain in mind and you can pretty simply um, reverse engineer that. Then much like I said, in establishing your maintenance, do it consistently, track your weight, see what's happening. If your body weight's not moving uh, quickly, uh, quickly enough to have you in that rate, you increase a bit more. And at that point, you can again kind of you can mathematically work it out. Like by okay, well, I wanted I wanted a, a half a pound this week. I only got 0.3. Okay, I'm going to need about this much more. But then it, you know, it, again, like you can try and nail the hit the nail on the head immediately, or you can say, okay, I'm just going to give myself 150 calories extra a day to uh, see what happens. And then, you know, the, the, the body's in a constant state of flux. So it's important also to know what your surplus is now is not your surplus forever. That's another thing. People are like, oh, I made great gains eating 2,600 calories doing this. And then they're not getting any bigger. But it takes more calories to sustain a bigger body than it does now. So if you gain 20 pounds, your maintenance went up. So uh, progressive overload applies in the gym, but it applies in the kitchen as well. You know, if, if you want to go, your eating plan that takes you from 135 pounds to 160 pounds isn't going to be the same as the one that takes you from 160 to 200, much like your training program isn't going to be the same at that point. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Actually, I was going to, I was going to mention that it's progressive overload for, for your calories. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but I've experienced that myself, right? I've, I've, you know, I have a pretty good handle on what my, my um, baseline is. I add those calories. I'll look for a couple of weeks. I'm like, all right, this is, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of weight gain here. And then all of a sudden eating the exact same calorie, I, I kind of plateaued kind of the yeah. same thing as if I were in the gym doing the same thing every day. Right. And it mm -hmm, didn't occur mm -hmm. to me. I was like, well, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. So yeah. I throw on a couple, couple hundred more calories and lo and behold, I start gaining again. And then a few weeks later, I kind of plateau. And um, so I, it is a moving target and I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. As, as, as I'm putting on weight and especially hopefully some of that is 
lean muscle mass and that's metabolically expensive and my base is actually rising as well. So um, that's a good way of putting it, progressive overload for uh, for your diet and for your calories as you're trying to gain weight, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a key one and one that's often overlooked is, and mm-hmm. it's, when you say it, it seems really simple, but it's one of those one doesn't necessarily occur to people immediately. Um, so the, again, a couple of things to follow up on that. So like you say, um, you know, you've had that experience yourself. I mean, that isn't necessarily just because you gain weight. I mean, if your activity levels change, uh, that could happen. So, you know, you've got to be outcome based with your decision making. Am I, this is my goal. Define what your goal is. And then am I, am I moving towards that at the appropriate rate that we've outlined earlier? If not, something needs to change. People seem to think that there's this magic number. I do that. And then I, that will get me there. That isn't how it works. Progress is never linear, especially if, it, you know, in anything you really want to achieve. So I think you've got to take ownership of it. Okay. This is, uh, you know, in the podcast like this or articles, the, you know, these are the parameters I need to be gaining at roughly this amount per week. Um, and this is how I make the adjustments to achieve that. If I'm not, I know what the decision-making framework is, but it's a pretty simple flow chart to work your way through, right? Like, am I gaining a desired rate? No, eat more uh, and then readjust and, and, and just keep iterating uh, that process. The other thing to think is if you're doing, if your training program is good, you're going to be doing more over time. You're going to be doing more volume. So the energy expenditure of a session is also going to increase. So not only is your daily energy expenditure up because you're bigger, but now you're lifting more weights for more reps, maybe for more sets. And it doesn't mean that you suddenly can afford like, you know, an extra thousand calories, but that is going to happen. So when people, um, you know, if they, if they use volume progression as a driver of their, their workouts, like if they're adding sets, you know, thinking that, you know, week six of this program, my calorie intake might be very different than week one, just because I'm doing that much more work per session. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, right? I, I think the body also likes to find stasis as well. And there's, but there's a lot of things there to play. Your, your body's getting bigger, you are getting stronger, and therefore, hopefully, you're applying that strength and your progressive overload in the gym or wherever, whatever your particular activity is, is, is getting more intense. And so all of that factors in together. So it is, like you said, it's kind of that flow chart, you know, let's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just keep, just keep moving these things around. Yes. Um, quickly, quickly to interrupt. Sorry, there. I think there's another point that again I, I didn't cover this when we talked about why are people hard gainers. But here's an example. You know, when people are dieting down to get really, really lean, and they get really lethargic, and they've got no energy, and their body is protective mechanism. Okay, so it, sh- it reduces energy expenditure. Uh, there's research. One of the reasons that people are hard gainers is that as their calorie surplus goes up, their body tries to uh, burn those extra calories, so they fidget more, or their neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis. They're basically daily activities go through the roof, revs their metabolism up, for want of a better phrase, and they churn through more calories. And if you're someone who's naturally lean, you got to realize your your body loves you, but it hates you. Okay, it all it loves you because it wants to keep you alive. It's going to do everything it can to prolong life. It doesn't care. It hates you because it doesn't care that your goal is to get jacked and lean. Right. It's going to it's going to it's going <laughs> to yeah. almost work against you. It's going to have adaptive resistance in certain instances where it's going to stop making the adaptations to a given training program. But also it's going to be like, hang on, this th- these calories are coming in. This guy doesn't want to gain uh, gain fat and too much weight and have to carry that round. Like, you know, that's that's not good for survival. He's, he's basically we're making him slower now. Not that that lifting weights makes you slower, but, you know, just carrying that extra body weight. It's more strain. It's more energy demanding. Tell you what, we'll will burn up some extra calories. And and there is research indicating that that's one of the reasons that some people really struggle to gain weight is just that as the calories come up, their body fights them 
much like someone going the other way, like any or the so other people listening to this might be like, you know, thinking gaining weight, struggling to gain weight is a ridiculous thing because right. they, yeah. they're like, I gain weight, no worries, but I can't lose it. Well, their body's fighting them, but the other way. It's, you right. know, it's, grass is always greener. It's just a different problem, but it's, it's the same kind of defense mechanism the body has. Oh, that's interesting. And that certainly, that certainly makes sense. And I, I think probably resonates with a lot of, a lot of folks as well. So my next question to you is, can we, I mean, the, the golden chalice here would be for us to be able to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. And there's a lot bandied about on this topic. What are, what are your thoughts? Can we, is that, is that a, a real thing? I think it's called body recomposition. Yes. Uh, I've yeah, heard yeah. it referred to, but is that, is that likely for an over 50 skinny guy who's trying to maybe skinny fat? Can, can that person realistically lose fat and gain weight? Or are we going to concentrate on one or the other and then kind of manipulate those two things? Uh, so it's a case of it depends, right? So is it possible? 100%. Absolutely. I've, I've seen it. I've worked with people that have done it. And I know other people that have had those results. So yes, but under certain conditions, is it possible to a noticeable degree? So what I mean by noticeable degrees, you'll see there's some research where people are like, oh, recomposition exists. This Over this period of time, these people lost a bit of muscle, gained a bit of, uh, sorry, lo- lost a bit of fat, gained a bit of muscle. And you're like, oh, brilliant. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to recomp myself to my dream physique, which I, uh, as I later get to, may be a mistake. That's because under lab conditions with expensive technology, they can notice a small change in muscle mass and fat loss. Not enough, not enough that me or you could see it with the naked eye though. And Given we're not walking around being assessed by expensive lab equipment, we're judged how we looked and we, we you know, place a lot of value on, to our, on ourselves on how our physique looks, how, how you really look in, in the flesh is what matters. So those studies, whilst interesting, are not necessarily applicable and I wouldn't place too much store in them. Now, getting back to can it be done, though, and, and can it be done effectively and to a, a good degree? Yes, but under certain conditions. Are you a complete beginner uh, when it comes to resistance training? absolutely it's on the cards for you like you're in a great spot being a beginner pays back there you can you can build muscle lose fat alternatively are you someone who's had a really long layoff from the gym uh, from lifting you like and we're talking years then yes because essentially you're going to get like newbie gains all over again you're you've you've become a novice again by having time away so yes you can do it there um the other one is if someone maybe they've been training, hasn't been optimal, and we optimize their training, but also their diet used to be crap, and we really nail the diet, then you can get it uh, as well. But it's a short period of time, right? We're talking six to 12 weeks, I would say, that in my, in my experience. Absolutely can happen then. And then, you know, the, the fourth one is if you're, you know, using performance-enhancing drugs, then then they, the, those guys, they can build muscle and lose fat. That's uh, what those drugs are designed for. That's the reason why uh, top-level bodybuilders use them. Outside of those uh, four conditions, I, re- I think it's a fool's errand. So it sounds like for the, other than maybe the, the complete beginner who's going to see those newbie gains and, and, and have a kind of a fun time there getting started for most of us, then it's, we're going to, we're going to work on building muscle. And then maybe at some point we'll switch our focus and we'll work on losing fat. So that yes. brings me to, that's a great segue into my next question is when does somebody who's skinny guy we've now we've put let's just say we've put some some muscle on this person but his his six pack's gone 
right? Um, and he, you know, aesthetically like that look. At what point do we say, okay, we're 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 done with this bulk, and it's time for us to do a cut and and mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. what? What are your thoughts on kind of going back and forth between sort of this bulking phase, this calorie surplus, and then moving into a calorie deficit to kind of reduce? kind of hopefully hang on to that most of that muscle but get rid of a little bit of that fat that's come along the way yeah uh well that cyclical approach between bulking and cutting i think is the way to build uh, the physique that most people are aspiring to okay you have to take that slightly longer term view delay instant gratification um if you're someone who's always been lean and had a six-pack it's going to be hard for you to see that soften a little bit uh, understandably but if you want to be much, much bigger and also lean, you have to give yourself a chance to do that. So you have to accept short term, you may say goodbye to your abs a little bit, but that will facilitate the the potential for you to build the muscle. And then the good news is it's much, much quicker to lose fat than it is to build muscle. Uh, A mini cut, uh, you can get back in shape and and be leaner. Um, If you don't do it, if you try and do that recomposition um, past those few uh, conditions I mentioned earlier, most people end up getting all the fatigue from training but none of the results or, you know, they, they do what I call gain taining. So, um, they are basically eating at maintenance, uh, training super hard, getting all the fatigue, getting all the downside, but none of the benefit. Uh, it's basically, it literally becomes an exercise in fatiguing yourself. Gain taining, um, huh? <laughs> gain, gain taining. Yeah. yeah. That's a rough um, one. so the, um, uh, the, the thing I think to think of people think of, um, recomposition in like a 24 hour window i want to gain muscle and lose fat today and i'll just do that every day and then eventually uh, in like 12 weeks i'll be in great shape it it doesn't work the body needs a robust signal to shift it up or down right you need a decent deficit to notice fat loss and and you know a decent surplus and hard training to stimulate growth like you said earlier like you know homeostasis the body will have a settling point it'll be quite comfy there you need to give it a pretty pretty big nudge to shift it either way and then what I say to people is like, okay, you want to do that in 24 hours. What about if we map this out in 24 weeks? So rather than thinking, oh, the first 12 hours of my day, I'm anabolic. The second 12 hours, I'm, I'm in a deficit. Uh, we, we might put, you know, you, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily do it 12 and 12. But if you have a dedicated um, mus- muscle building phase, you can actually pack on some muscle. And then uh, a, a cutting phase follows it up. Then you get to, so you've built your body, then you reveal your body. Um, okay. Now, the... Other thing, the, the missing piece of the puzzle here, all right, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll paint this picture and you can tell me if it seems familiar to you is I've bulked up. I've actually put some size on. I feel pretty good. I've, I've got some fat. That's cool. Now I'm excited, though, to trim down, get lean and cut and, and showcase my physique. You transition straight from bulking to cutting. And all that seems to happen is you lose all that hard earned muscle. Uh, the, those final few pounds you gained towards, say you did like 12 weeks worth of bulking up. Those last four weeks, the, the couple of pounds you gained, they just seem to disappear overnight. And you cut down and you're like, oh. I'm, I'm I'm about as lean and about the same size, like not 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 too dis- dissimilar, right? Uh, I know I had that happen lots of times. I don't know if you've experienced something similar. Absolutely, yeah, I can relate. Yeah, so I can't have credit this. Uh, like you know, the person who pointed this out was a guy called Mike Israel. Uh, I remember being at a seminar of him, and he talked about it. But the um, a, a maintenance phase, or I call it a solidification phase, because maintenance is boring, right? Like a solidification phase or a strength phase at the end of a bulk so that you your body owns that weight it becomes the new normal you if you gain uh, 10 pounds across 20 weeks you need your body to adjust to that new normal create a new settling point and own that weight otherwise when you go into a surplus like we said earlier your, your body's going to go oh brilliant like he's not eating so much he, he doesn't need all this uh, extra weight we'll, we'll we'll give that away 
you stay a bit of time at that new weight and then the body you know has it's, it's not a set point but it's a settling point it will it'll fight a little bit harder to stay there and and maintain that weight and that that muscle then you go into deficit after that solidification phase then you cut and then disproportionately well almost exclusively you can lose fat like you really shouldn't be unless you're going into a like bodybuilding levels of leanness you shouldn't be losing muscle mass as you diet to any noticeable amount and then you just lose the fat and that's the key to actually going oh you know what that was time well spent i bolt up i maintained it i i owned that weight i, I sort of solidified it that weight i cut down and now i do look this, as lean as i was but now noticeably bigger okay and and that missing piece of the puzzle has been like you know honestly a game changer for for a lot of my clients putting that in into them uh has, has been really, really important. And then how you, you know, we can talk if you want about how you program a maintenance phase and, and what's involved in that. But um, that, that's a vital part of the puzzle. Yeah, that's that. thanks for sharing that. That's something that I, I, I certainly haven't really considered. And I think a lot of people do kind of that yo-yo thing, that classic, I'm, I'm bulking, I'm bulking, I'm bulking. Hooray, I gained my 10 pounds, whatever that is. Time to cut um, without any thought to that maintenance phase maybe in between. And to your point, your body just learning to own that weight. Uh, I mm-hmm. think you put it, that's a great way of saying that and then work on a cut where maybe we're more likely to lose the fat and, and hang on to some of that muscle. Yes. Um, yeah. Great, great stuff there. Let's switch a little bit and talk about, uh, we talked a lot about food and calories and, uh, cause obviously that's, that's very important for somebody who's trying to gain weight. You're going to have to be in a calorie surplus and we've got some great tips there. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, about training and, you had mentioned um, specifically resistance training is the way to go for us to build muscle mm-hmm. when I'm not sure everybody that hears this is going to know exactly what you mean when you say resistance training. Because when we say, even if you say lifting weights or gym training, that can mean a lot of different things to different people. What's What do you recommend specifically for, I guess, skinny, older, skinnier guys looking to add lean muscle mass? What are What are those exercises that are the best bang for their buck? Okay, so I think this is uh, an important thing. Is uh, yeah, sadly, this is you know, you know you need some skill to do this. Picking the best exercises for you, as opposed to the one that everyone says you should do, is is a is a key thing. Um, for yeah, for thinking like tall guys, particularly, you know, some of us aren't built to squat, right? If you've got long thighs, like your femur it is really long, and a short torso, like like I described about myself earlier, your squat's going to look quite ugly because when you squat, uh, which is the king of all exercises, right? You have to do it to grow. Well, that's what people have you believe is that it's an exercise in not falling over. Your body has to find a way to keep that bar or your center of mass over the midfoot so you can maintain balance. If you've got long femurs and a short torso, that means you're going to fold for, you know, my, my femurs here and my torso is here. I have to fold forward to keep that central mass over. Then you've got a question. Is it uh, a really quad, uh, you know, dominant exercise? Is it really building um, uh, my, my quads? Chances are no, but it will probably do a great job for your glutes. Okay. If you're, so your structure is a bit different. If you're someone who's got um, a long torso and short femurs, it'd be complete opposite. You'll have a bolt upright squat. It'll look beautiful. It'll look how we picture a good squat should look. Maybe it's a great exercise for you. Another example is the bench press. Some some people they've got a great big um, uh, rib cage, you know, nice uh, steep sternum angle, quite short arms, short forearms. They're built for bench pressing. The the fibers line up when they press, and it gets great stimulus. Tension goes through the muscle got someone uh who's six foot three but they've got a wingspan of six foot seven and a shallow rib cage 
they're coming down, they're cranking into internal rotation. Those are the people that tell you, oh, I just feel it in my shoulder and I don't even, not in a good way. Like, right. you know, it's not like right. I'm growing my delts. So I'm just, I'm just getting a discomfort in my shoulder. Um, maybe a floor press is the better exercise for them because it's naturally limited, but they can work through a range that, you know, actually the excursion as it want, of how far that bar travels is, is the same for them. It's just that they, it doesn't meet their chest because their chest is so much shallower, but actually they take the, the, the bar through a, you know, a decent range of motion. There's plenty of stimulus that it's joint friendly. And one of the key things when you're training is you need to be able to keep training. And the best ways to store your gains is to get injured and have to spend time out of the gym. Yeah. So picking the right exercises for you uh, is, is a key one. It's not that simple. But if we're going to go by and large, find what I would call is your big three, maybe your big four, but they are variations of a horizontal push and pull, a hip hinge and a squat pattern. Okay. So your squat might be a hack squat machine rather than a back squat. Your press might be a floor press rather than a bench press. Um, For back, it might be um, you might be great at pull-ups or you might not uh, do well with bent over rows, but you might do well with a really good, uh, with a single arm dumbbell row so you can brace yourself. And then, uh, for your hip hinge, you might, you know, I'm not a big fan of the conventional deadlift for muscle building. Uh, it's a great exercise uh, for strength. I think it's one that's good early in your career to learn the movement pattern. But one of the problems is that, you know, most people just drop the bar or they ride the bar on the way down. There's no real tension. We're not lengthening the muscle under tension. Maybe for you, you use a Romanian deadlift as your key hip hinge. Find your big four and then don't chop and change too much. With those, develop the skill so that you can progressively overload them. One of the mistakes I see people make is they change their exercise selection very frequently and they create the illusion of progress because as you learn the skill for four weeks, you can add weight because you're just getting more skillful. But it's at that point, it's more of a neural adaptation, a skill basis. You're not taxing the muscle. If you want to build muscle, um, the muscle needs to be the limiting factor. So you need to, to that be the, what breaks down, not your skill. People do that. They put a new exercise in. For four weeks, they make great progress. They think they're doing wonderfully. They switch exercise. Same thing happens again. But they haven't actually provided an overload to the muscle. They've just learned a skill for four weeks. Got you know, They haven't mastered it. So pick your big lifts, master them, and then aim to improve your performance on those over time. Rather than chasing one rep maxes, I would chase volume uh, targets would be a better bet or or rep maxes. Maybe you track your six, your 10 and your 15 rep max on the core lifts. If those are going up over time, it's a pretty good indicator. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to the um, just hopping from program to program. And certainly early on, I was very guilty of that. You know, I'd, I'd read in you know, a, a magazine somewhere, see online this, um, Hey, you get this summer beach body and, um, in the 16 week program, I'm all right. And I get halfway through that and I'd, <laughs> I'd see another program. Hey, you know, get this V taper in no time. And I, oh yeah, I want that. And I sit, but to your point, you get into that where you're, you do see adaptations, but it probably it's it's skill-based neurological mm-hmm. adaptations. To your point, it's probably not muscular, adaptations the way that if somebody's doing these squat patterns these hip hinges these pushes these pulls and these big compound quote unquote maybe boring programming but very consistently over time with progressive overload that's really when we're going to start seeing the the muscle gains is that a fair way of putting that yeah yeah that's that's a fair way to say it uh, especially um yeah yeah i really like the way you've uh, listed that off there and and i think getting to your point of people program hopping um, like we've all been guilty, right? The grass is always greener. Uh, you know, there's shiny object syndrome. There must be something better. I've done it. 
the problem with that is well the social media and fitness magazines kind of feed into it and they sell us this like quick fix and we jump on them and it's great latest and greatest programs what i found is people can people can either design a good workout or, or they can find a good workout right but hardly anyone can write a good program because no, a good program is how you manipulate the variables over time to keep you progressing. It's not just uh, looking at the world through a straw of, oh, oh, I went in and completely annihilated that muscle group. It's the session I'm doing today built on the one I did last time, and it facilitates or it potentiates the one I'm going to do next. And that's good programming. When you stack phases one on top of the other and they have an additive effect, Like uh, then, then it's like a force multiplier, good programming. Um, the way you, people hop around from one to the other is almost like one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals two. Whereas actually you do proper programming and it's not quite one plus one equals three, but it's, you know, like one plus one plus one plus one equals like 5.2 or something like that. Right. You get a little bit more. Um, and that's, you know, the sports science term for that is phase potentiation, but that's basically knowing what am I training now? How did that build on what I went, what went before my last phase and how is it going to facilitate my next and what should I be doing next to capitalize on that? And that's kind of the real secret to unlocking what the plateau, the dreaded plateau. Most people give up on achieving their goals because they get injured or they hit a plateau and it's like too long. They can't work out how to get past it. If you do good programming, you can manage your injury risk and you can, yeah, can't completely avoid plateaus, but you can, you know, you can, uh, you can reduce them or minimize them and, and shorten them in duration uh, so that you are always progressing. That's very well said. And that distinction between a good workout, maybe even a good workout plan and good workout programming with that long-term strategic goal certainly can, can be a big difference maker. And that's why people, frankly, that's why people come to people like you, right? That's why people mm-hmm. hire coaches and um, people that understand this because it's not as simple as just looking in a men's magazine or going online and finding a a good looking program that that's better than nothing. And it's the way most of us start, but taking it to the kind of the next level, getting engaged with somebody who's, who knows this and can communicate it back to you and hold you accountable and all the other things that coaches uh, are responsible for can be critical in that, in that long-term success of, of reaching your, reaching your goals. I, I think that's a fair way of putting that. Yes. 100%. So Let's see, as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, let's just, let's talk a little bit because we've, we've touched on it a bunch, but let's, let's pull apart a little bit more on progressive overload and the importance there in, in building muscle. I think it's fairly obvious, but it probably is worth spending just a minute talking about progressive overload, specifically what it is. And I know that there's more than just one way to progressively overload, right? I mean, we can yes. clearly, I think everybody's thinking, well, yeah, you just add weight to the bar each time, but there are other variables and levers we can push and pull, right? To kind of manipulate that progressive overload. Yes. Um, you're, you're right. And, and actually it's one of the fatal mistakes people make that really shoot themselves in the foot is just the uh, load on the bar, uh, progressive overload, which 100% is a valid form of progressive overload and the most obvious. But what happens often is people chase weight on the bar at the expense of things that drive hypertrophy, drive muscle gain, like training volume. So what the research indicates is that training volume has a a dose-dependent relationship with muscle gain. So the more volume you do, the more you grow until you can't recover. You have a a threshold. It's an inverted U, uh, like most things in life. There's that sweet spot. This is like the absolute, like the most you can handle and recover from uh, and adapt to. And then if you go past that point, you get diminishing returns. And if you go way past it, you actually get worse gains. But up to a point, the more training you can do without exceeding your capacity to recover, the better your gains. 
Now, if you just add weight to the bar, what happens often, say someone starts out doing three sets of 10, and then they get to a weight that they can't, they keep adding weight, but they can't keep adding weight and hitting 10. So they're then hitting three sets of eight. And then over time, that becomes three sets of six. And pretty soon they're doing three sets of three, and they are using more weight. But if you uh, look at volume as sets times reps times load, that's volume load, uh, they're actually doing less. So they're doing like less muscle building stimulus in, in that respect. So that's one mistake people make uh, with just tracing weight on the bar. So it's important to understand that there's uh, mechanical tension and metabolic stress are the two key drivers of, of hypertrophy of muscle gain. And mechanical tension is the tension the muscle senses through placing large load through it. And metabolic stress is like essentially like that burn you get from like high rep work. If you, you probably find that mechanical tension is driving Again, I'm going to pick a number, and this isn't like peer-reviewed scientific study, but like 75% of your muscle growth is going to come from mechanical tension. So you need to find ways to put more tension through muscle. Okay, adding weight for the same reps or more reps is, is one way. So add weight. Do more reps at a given weight is another one. Adding sets is a way to progressively overload volume. So it's not in in the true sense of just adding adding more weight, but um, it yeah it's increasing your volume, and as we said, more volume, assuming you can recover, equals more gains. So it's one of the ways you can find is um, I, I like triple progression or double progression. There's different ways. Like so, if we go single progression is add weight to the bar. Uh, double progression would be you give yourself a rep range, say six to eight reps. And then I stick at the same weight until what I can handle for sets of six becomes sets of eight. And then I add weight and I start back at sixes and work my way up. And that's a really great progression scheme for anyone who's past the beginner stages, but not like super advanced. And then you've got triple progression, which is those first two. So you've got a rep bracket. You work your way from the bottom to the top of that. Then you add weight and start at the bottom. But when you start at the bottom, you add a set. Okay, so then you're getting more volume. So uh, if I try and walk this through, say you were doing three sets of six. You, uh, you make that to three sets of eight. When, when you go up five pounds, but drop back down to three sets of six, your volume load will probably drop. If we map, if we map this out, sets times reps on loads actually comes down a fraction. But if you make that four sets of six, then actually your volume load is up, you're handling more weight, and then you build back up until you hit four sets of eight. And then you can repeat the process and go back down. And it can be five sets of six and work up to five sets of eight. Now, you can't do that indefinitely because your training will become life. You will never get out of the gym. But I find that people can go through that cycle two, three times, and they they are overloading via volume, which is a key driver of hypertrophy, but they're also placing more tension through more, uh, uh, more load on the bar and more reps at a given load. That kind of ties back to the comment about having an experienced coach can be can be critical because that may not be evident to everybody that they can just, you know, do that undulating periodization. And I think you call it triple, triple, triple progression. <laughs> yeah, triple yeah, progression. yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great, great tips and certainly makes sense because I think everybody listening to this or anybody spending any time in a gym, <clears throat> in addition to can, can relate to program hopping, can relate to plateaus, right? And that can yeah. be really frustrating. And uh, for most of us, we, maybe we don't know what to do and, for some of us, they end up being discouraged and, and kind of get, kicks us out of the game, and, and that's not where we want to be. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just quickly to summarize because, like, I gave you quite a detailed answer on progressive overload, but like, literally, add weight to the bar, do more reps at a given weight, do more sets. The other one you can work on is like how hard you work. So, we can build muscle without having to go to failure. But the stimulus, it's a stimulus fatigue kind of ratio, a relationship like stimulus goes up the closer to failure to go until you hit failure and actually fatigue 
tends to go exponential at that point. So, but you can, you can plan like week one, I'm going to leave a few reps in the tank, feel my way into this program. Week two, I'm going to go a bit closer to the failure. Week three, a little, and then week four, I'm sent, I go full send. I go all the way to failure. Then I take a deload again. It's another way to, to overload because the fact that you've gone to, you, you, you could keep the, the weight static, but your reps will go up because you're pushing closer to failure. So you might have started with, yeah. um, with a 12 rep max and hit eight reps in week one, but then you take that to, to 12 on week four. And actually in week four, because you'll have adapted, it might actually be that you can handle 13 or 14 reps at that given. I mean, it's not going to be uh, that simple mathematical equation, but you know, your body's adjusting and adapting as you go. But long story short, progressive overload means that you, you know, your training has to be hard and it has to get harder over time. And that's an ongoing thing, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we talked about that the body wants its homeostasis and it, and if you, if you go in and you do the same thing, your body's gonna say, Oh, fine. We, yeah, we can, we can deal with this and there, you won't see changes because there won't be a, a need for change. Right. Yes, uh, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tom, as we're wrapping up here, tell us what's, what's next for you. What, what's on deck? Um, we're recording this just so people know it's a, it's December, 2020. So we're somewhere in the midst and hopefully the end of this crazy pandemic times, but what, what do you have on the horizon for you? Uh, well, yes, first of all, hopefully it's towards the end. Hopefully we're not in the middle hopefully, of it. Yeah. That'll yeah, be, that'll, <laughs> yeah that'll, fingers crossed on that. Um, so today actually is the first day back in the gym. Uh, for me, we've been in lockdown here for a month. Uh, so back in the gym today, that was brilliant. Uh, training clients again, um, and, and seeing people in, in, in person. Fantastic. So that's, that's the, the first thing. And uh, next thing for me is launching my, uh, 21 week online, uh, co- group coaching challenge. I have a few friends that run fat loss challenges very successfully but they're kind of eight to 12 weeks, right? And, and that's great for fat loss, but there's nothing really out there for guys who want to build muscle and, and, and then go through that whole gaining process, but then look good at the end of it. And so, you know, it's, it's, I believe 21 weeks provides them long enough to gain muscle and still have a mini cut at the end. So they look good at the end, of, at the end of the phase. I'm going to be opening that up on January the 1st. So that's, that's the next big project uh, work-wise for me. And then uh, you can see over my shoulder uh, next year, I hope to launch Muscle U, which is a muscle university that stands for, which is an educational resource for fitness enthusiasts, personal trainers. Basically, there's a whole curriculum uh, mapping out how uh, the how the, and, and the why and, and, and the what and everything of uh, muscle building and how you can apply this to yourself so that you can then go and write your programs and know how to make the changes. Yeah, that and, and coaching people. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's what's uh, that's on the horizon for me. Yeah, that sounds great and exciting. So I, I love that you're going to launch a kind of a muscle building program on January 1st, because let's face it, that's when so many people make their New Year's resolutions, right? And it's it's also, it's, it's kind of sad because it's we all know as gym goers that we roll our eyes because January is a tough month in the gym, right? And especially in these kind of globo gym environments, they're going to be packed in January. And sadly, not so much by February, right? There's just a lot of attrition there. But getting people into that kind of a program and holding them accountable for 21 weeks, that's great. You got the muscle yeah. you coming up. And I think that's fantastic as well. We'll be looking forward to seeing what happens there. You also run, uh, you mentioned that your gym is opening back up and that's fantastic. You get you get to be in person again with your clients, but you also do online training. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I do. Um, I think, well, you've had one of my, uh, one of my clients on, uh-huh. on your, on your show, Ray, uh-huh. uh, great, uh, great guy. Um, yeah, I, I do online uh, coaching. Which one, of the, one of the great things about technology is we can be on the other side of the world and we're chatting like this, but likewise I can, I can coach and I can uh, write programs and, and, and guide people through their journey. Um, and so that's been fantastic. And, and yes, I, I, I enjoy that. And I'll be doing, uh, doing more of that. You know, obviously 
personal training is limited by you know people's location and, and how close they are to me but this means that you know if there's guys anywhere in the world want uh, you know want to learn how to build muscle and uh, uh, and get the training and the diet advice to do that i can i can help them and so yes i will i will definitely be doing that and, and enjoying doing that hopefully uh, plenty of that in 2021 as well Fantastic. And uh, yeah, we had mentioned Ray. I've had Ray Gallagher on the show before. He's, he's, you're right. He's a great guy, but he's all the way over on the West coast of the United States and you're in the Mm -hmm. UK. So to that point, you, you can serve folks globally. Right. And are you still, are you open for new clients? I, I am, yeah. Currently, I, I am. I have a few more spots, and then, like as I said, my focus is going to uh, shift in the new year uh, to the twenty-one week uh, mm-hmm. challenge. So I, I hope to have everything um, sort of fully, you know, full uh, stock of sort of one-to-one online clients at that point, and then I probably will have to close the doors to that because this twenty-one week challenge is going to to take a take a lot of time. So um, I, I will be able to maintain and service those clients but there's only so many i can have on at the same time so yeah i've got a, a few spots but i mean yeah you know, any online coach always has a few spots anyone tells you that they're okay. they're not they're, <laughs> yeah. they're they're lying but um but yes between that and and my um my own personal i'm very very busy and and i like you know i love getting on the podcast chatting to people interviewing uh, people myself and, and writing articles so there's only so many hours in the day so it's just juggling all those balls yeah. So, and let people know, um, you got a great, a great website with a, with a blog there with a lot of great information to your point in, in, in terms of getting information out there. So Tom, how would you like people to connect with you? Uh, probably, well, uh, as you said, my, my website, uh, Tom McCormick.com. Um, McCormick's a bit of a tricky one to spell. So it's M A C C O R M I C K. But yeah, TomMcCormick.com or uh, at Instagram, um, which is um, at Tom McCormick. Same, same spelling, all, all, one, all one word that uh, jammed together. Those are the two places you, you can find me on. And then everything's, everything else, anything else is linked from there. Gotcha. And I'll drop both of those into the show notes so folks can find you easily there. Well, Tom, thanks so much for taking the time, coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom with us. I had a blast. Um, This is, as you can tell, near and dear to my heart personally. And so I really enjoyed um, going to school here and I got some things to think about and take away from this. I'm sure other folks listening will, will have that same experience. So keep up the great work and best of luck to you in all your future endeavors. Thank you, Kevin. It's been an absolute pleasure being on. Uh, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed myself. Um, I hope there's loads of, loads of value there for people. Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing and giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com. That's silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.